Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. Take advantage of the Black Friday special. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you, Craftsy. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 253 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. So check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about serving the LGBTQ plus community through craft with my guest, Austin Rivers. Austin is a nonprofit founder, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, activist, and professional actor. He received his double bachelor's degree in, in politics and musical theater, theater from NYU, his master's of public administration from the University of Central Florida, and is starting his PhD in change leadership for equity and inclusion from the University of Central Arkansas this fall. Austin has worked on several progressive political campaigns and in the offices of elected officials in New York City. As an actor, he has toured the United States and around the world performing in over 20 countries. Austin currently serves as the special assistant to the chief diversity officer at the Rockefeller Brothers Fund and the founder and board chair of Knit the Rainbow Incorporated, a nonprofit organization that collects and distributes handmade knit and crochet winter garments for homeless and at-risk LGBTQ plus youth. Austin Rivers, welcome. Hi there, Abby. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And I was so excited to be able to meet you in person for the first time at H&H Americas in our very first year where you had a booth. And um, it was wonderful to um, also see you on stage and learn a little bit more about Knit the Rainbow. So um, that was really great. And I'd love to sort of get the whole Knit the Rainbow story, but you yourself have an interesting story because <laughs> you are both an actor and you do all of these other things. And you can tell, by the way, because when you're up on stage, you're such like a natural speaker oh, and are very you. engaging. So I'm imagining those skills have been helpful to you in building this nonprofit. So tell us a little bit about what you were like as a kid. Were you always um, interested in theater and in acting? Were you crafty at all? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, and I, I can agree that my my theater background has definitely helped in this fiber arts world with all the presenting and speaking that I do. Um, so for sure. Um, yeah, as a kid, I was at first really interested in actually music education. So I wanted to teach music um, because I was really involved in like my high school and middle school and elementary school chorus. And that was kind of my way of, of entering the performing arts was through choir. And so I was like, well, maybe I just help other kids kind of find that love like I did. Um, and so that was my initial love was doing musical... Um, I'm sorry, music education. Um, and then in high school, um, I learned that you can major in musical theater in college, which I didn't know was a thing. Um, and I was like, oh, no, for sure. That's definitely what I'm going to do. So I was super involved in all of the performing arts. I actually wasn't involved at all in any fiber arts or visual arts. Um, I didn't do anything. You know, I didn't start knitting or crocheting until I was uh, an adult. Um, and uh, yeah, so I was full, fully vested into the performing arts growing up. And that was kind of my way of, of my artistic outlet. Um, in addition to being, um, you know, a straight A student, and I got my associate's degree, uh, which is your first two years of college, basically, while I was in high school. Um, and so I graduated high school with my high school diploma and my associate's degree from college. Um, and so while I was focusing on my education, I had to have something, you know, some kind of outlet. So I chose the performing arts as my outlet and decided to go full time into that. So that's why I ended up going to um, NYU, uh, New York University for uh, musical theater and politics, which is an interesting combination. Um, I do always say they go very well together because there's a lot of drama and politics and there's a lot of <laughs> politics in musical theater so they kind of yeah. go hand in hand together um and uh so people always you know i kind of feel like i went to school i i 
uh, majored in Hamilton the musical. That's kind of what it feels like. <laughs> it's like the perfect mix of politics and musical theater. So it's kind of how it feels like. Um, I didn't really start um, knitting until 2018, which was only about five years ago. So um, I kind of added that new art form onto my hobby list as an adult. So I'm getting the sense that you've always been kind of an overachiever, given Uh that right now you're doing so many things that we (laughs) talked about in the intro, but even back in your high school days when you were 16, 17, Mm -hmm. 18 years old. So how did you get an associate's degree at the same time that you got a high school degree? Did you take classes at the community college or what was going on? Yeah. Yeah. So luckily my, you know, I had a privilege in that my high school had a connection with our local community college. Um, And so we had classes called dual enrollment, which is where um, some of our teachers were actually also professors at the university and could use their class as a, as a college class. So for example, I took freshman comp, which is like your basic 101 essay writing class for college. I took that my junior year of high school. And instead of taking my junior year essay writing class, I took that that college level essay writing class. And then I also did actually have to take some classes at the community college when uh, over the summer. So I would like over the summer, take a class or two at the community college um, to finish up that degree. Um, So yeah, I think I was only one of like 10 to 12 students who actually graduated with that AA degree um, at my my high school graduation. Um, So yeah, always been an overachiever, have always also really been involved in volunteering. Um, You know, that was, I was a member of the National Honor Society and the Junior National Honor Society in middle school, which was all about volunteering and giving back to the community. Um, And then when I went to college, I had over 400 hours of community service um, that I had logged from my high school years. Um, And that was actually what led me to get to my scholarship, which was the only way I could go to NYU. I actually got a scholarship because of my volunteer hours. Um, It was called the Martin Luther King Jr. Scholarship. And it was basically uh, for folks who in their high school careers were able to find a way to get back to their community in the similar way that Martin Luther King Jr. did. Um, And so that provided me with a $100,000 scholarship spread across four years, which allowed me to go to NYU. Without that, I couldn't have afforded to go. So um, my volunteering kind of got me into college and and, and went from there. Wow, that's that's fascinating. And were you working with what kind of populations were you volunteering with in high school? Um, it was a couple different ones. I really, I was really, uh, I had a big presence in my family's church. So like I was part of the church choir, which was part of my volunteer hours. So, you know, that was a fun one because I got to sing, but also add it to my volunteer hours. Um, I also worked a lot on um, my whole family was really in the education system. My mom, my dad did some education stuff. My stepmom um, worked at the school system and so did my grandma. So I, I volunteered at a lot of school events. So like, you know, the the fall festivals and the the book fairs and like all that kind of stuff, I would volunteer my time to work with the younger kids. Um, because as I said, I was really interested in teaching at the time. Um, and so I've really always had this passion for youth education and for youth mm-hmm. programming, which as you can see, has kind of blood over yeah. into my adult life with the rainbow. Um, and so I'm the oldest of eight siblings, if you, if you didn't know that. Um, so I've always been around like young folks, like my whole life, I've been the older brother, I've been the, the babysitter, I've been the, you know, the responsible one to watch the kids when my parents were working or were out of, you know, we're out doing stuff, errands. So I've always had that connection to youth and to youth programming and to, um, you know, just making the world a better and more happy place for the kids that are around. So that kind of translated into where, what I'm doing now with the rainbow. And where did you grow up? Where was this? Um, Kissimmee, Florida. Um, so basically, I like to say I grew up in Disney World because it was, you know, like a 15, 20 minute drive from where I grew up. Um, so I grew up in the Kissimmee slash St. Cloud, Florida area. St. Cloud, Florida is a little bit smaller than Kissimmee. So most people don't know don't know where it is, but it's right outside of Kissimmee. Um, and it's a little bit smaller town. Like I grew up next to a fa- like a, I wouldn't say it was a farm. It was like a field of cows. Um, I guess you could call that a farm, but there were, you know, right next door to us, there was a big field, a couple of acres with a bunch of cows and bulls. Um, and so I grew up right there in the country. All right. So you grew up in the rural South mm-hmm. and involved in the church mm-hmm. and I'm, and you know, you're a, a gay man, mm-hmm. a black gay man. So yeah. I'm just wondering how that went over, you know, yeah. was, was that, was that a hard situation for you growing up or is it an accepting situation? Yeah, that's a really good question, which, which leads to why I with homeless LGBTQ youth. Um, you know, I myself am privileged in that I, my family, even though they're they're religious, are really accepting. Um, and we went to a church that was non-denominational, so it, you know, it was a little bit less strict. You know, I wasn't at a Catholic church or um, you know, in the other more more of those strict um denominations. So um for my family, when I 
I was actually more scared to come out than I actually needed to be. So I stayed in the closet for about four years. Like I knew I was, you know, a member of the LGBTQ community. I knew I was gay since probably sixth or seventh grade, honestly. But I didn't come out until my senior year of high school because I was just nervous that I would be one of those kids that got kicked out and that their family would love them or that I was disgracing my church community, you know. So um, that was kind of how I contended with that. And I didn't come out until my senior year. And then when I did, I found out that my family and friends and nobody you know, changed anything. They all loved me, you know, just the same as they did before I came out, um, which was really, really awesome. Um, and that is why I work with LGBTQ youth today, because I know that the, I know the fear of what it's like to come out and what it's like to be um, in the, the South and uh, growing up as black and gay and uh, the fear of being kicked out of your home. Luckily, I had the privilege that I wasn't. Um, however, I know what that fear is like. So I was like, this has got to be the community that I help now as an adult. So when you landed at NYU, this is a really different environment. Now sure. you are in the largest city in the United States. Yep. You are in this incredible college where there are gifted people mm-hmm. with, within the performing arts section right. for sure. Right. And also, you know, political science. And mm-hmm. th- this is a lot. So yeah. what was it like for you to transition to NYU from Kissimmee, Florida. It was crazy. Um, it was definitely, I, I would almost even call it a culture shock because I was not used to, I was used to being the only black person in the room, you know, when I was in high school or when I was in um, in you know my church groups, I was used to being the only person of color. I think I was the only out gay person in my year. Maybe there was one other that I know of in my year of high school that graduated in 2016, uh, 12. So it was so different to come to college and be like, oh, being queer is just normal here. Like people are queer and they're like fine with it and it's totally fine and people on the street don't care. Um, And like there are tons of people of color in New York City and it's like, you know, it's like a hugely diverse city and you can find every kind of food here and every kind of person and every kind of business. So I, you know, having the world at your fingertips basically here in New York City compared to my small town of St. Cloud, where I grew up next to a cow farm, um, you know, was a pretty big culture shock. But I would say it didn't take me too long to get used to it. You know, if you can't tell, I have a pretty uh, outgoing personality. So, like, it was cool for me to, like, be here, open up, and, like, make a bunch of new friends and, like, kind of fall into the world of New York City. And I haven't left. I've been here for 11 years now. So, And did you add, like, studying politics because somewhere in the back of your mind or your parents' mind, Putting all of your eggs in the musical theater basket might be a little risky. I don't know. I mean, I know with for me and for a lot of people I talk to, people like, don't go to art school. How are you ever going to make a living? Like, was that at all part of that? Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I got, luckily, I didn't get too much pressure from my family to do that. I think I actually wanted double major the whole time. You know, even going into my high school, my college applications, I knew that I was going to double major in something because I got my AA degree in high school. So I already made room in high school to take two years off of college. So instead of graduating early, I decided I would just fit in two degrees at once. So that was kind of my plan ever since I started my AA degree, like my sophomore year of high school. So I always knew I wanted to double major. Um, And so, so even at the time, you know, I was going to do music education, which is, you know, more of a solid, you know, you can, you know, there are music teachers all over the place. So, you know, I wasn't super worried about it in high school. And then when I switched to musical theater, it did become apparent that it might be helpful to have a, a degree that's in another field. And it was actually really cool because when I graduated, I was able to work in both fields simultaneously because politics and musical theater are both like contractual kind of gig based jobs. So I would work for six months on a campaign and then I would go and work for six months doing a, a show at a theater, at a regional theater. Or I would go on a tour and then come back and work on a campaign or work in an office for a couple of months. Um, and it was really great. I think the two careers kind of blended really well together. Yeah, it sounds like it. Okay, so after college, you start this sort of back and forth doing both at the right. same time. Yep. Um, and so, um, you know, tell us about what that what those years were like, what were some of the highlights from that time, maybe on on both sides. Yeah, um, my first job right out of college, which I thought was always going to be like a musical theater gig, actually was a, po- a politics gig. So I worked in Pennsylvania for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016. That was the year that I graduated college. Um, and so I worked in Pennsylvania during that, of course, for me, disappointing election cycle, um, as I'm sure it is for a lot of folks. Um, and that was my first job right out of high school. I basically, I mean, I'm sorry, right out of college. I basically went to Pennsylvania and and my job was to manage volunteers. So if you have ever been part of a campaign or volunteered for a campaign, you know the vol- uh, campaigns run on 
thousands and thousands of volunteers around the country to be able to knock on doors and send texts and make phone calls and all that great stuff that volunteers do on campaigns. So my job was to manage volunteers and to build teams of volunteers, basically, on the ground in Pennsylvania, which is a rough state to do that in. Um, You know, it's a big state for elections. So it was a good state for me to be in for my first political campaign because I got to see kind of how important the work is that we do on campaigns. So that was really cool. It was exciting. And I got to, like, meet so many people in Pennsylvania. I was based out of Pittsburgh. So I lived in Pittsburgh for, like, four or five months and worked on that campaign there. And then right after that, I jumped back into New York City. I got a little side gig. You know, I, I worked in uh, restaurants for a couple years in New York City, which would kind of be my uh, my my way of paying my rent <laughs> when I wasn't working. Because as an actor, you don't always have a job. You know, sometimes yeah. you're mm-hmm. without a job for four or five months while you're auditioning. So I would, you know, be a server at a restaurant. That was my most usual um, side job. My first performing gig that I was most excited about was probably working on a cruise ship. Um, uh, That is some of my world experience. So I worked on the Oceana Riviera, which is the luxury cruise line that Norwegian Mm -hmm. cruise lines owns. So it was a luxury cruise line and we uh, were in the Mediterranean Sea, which was really cool. So I got to see probably 30, maybe maybe 20 to 30 different countries in Europe that were all around the Mediterranean Sea, um, including Morocco as well. Um, So it was really cool to be able to travel and perform. I was like, this is like the life. Why would I want to do anything else other than work on a cruise ship and sing and dance and then get to see the world while I'm doing it? So that was such a cool contract. I met so many great people. The cool thing about being an actor is that you get like like these really close friendships with the people that you're on the contracts with because you're both there, you're both, you know, you're all in a foreign country, you're all performing and you like have this matched love of, of entertaining, but you also have to stick together because you're in places you've never been before together. Um so it's been really cool to build relationships through the eye of, of performing. Um I have some of my closest friends that are all actors and that I perform with. Um I would say my favorite of all time performing contract was when I performed in Japan for four months. I moved to Japan um, with a cast of eight American singers and a 60-piece Japanese orchestra, and we toured all over Japan. It was a land-based tour, um, and we would sing Disney music. And so, as you know, I'm from Kissimmee, Florida, and Disney music is my my bread and butter. So, um, you know, as a performer, I love going to Disney. Uh, I'm one of those Disney adults that, like, I will go to Disney as an adult by myself <laughs> because I just have such a good time at Disney, um, and I love all the characters and the songs. So, if you couldn't tell, that's one of the reasons why it was one of my favorite contracts is because I'm on a stage in a tuxedo. The girls are all wearing gowns. The guys are in tuxedos. There's a 60-piece live orchestra behind us, and we're touring around Japan, of all places, with these beautiful orchestra halls and these humongous 5,000-seat theaters. Um, it was like the most people I've ever performed for, and I felt like a celebrity because like you're an American coming over to sing in Japan, and the the people there who love Disney think that you're like this big celebrity. When like, you come out of the stage and people are crying and they have gifts for you and like they're <laughs> wow. signing things and people are like taking photos and tagging you on Instagram. It, it really felt like I was like, oh, so this is a little bit about like, probably what stardom feels like because it felt like they were just so enamored by us and by our, you know, American culture and the fact that we were over there performing for them in Japan and, and singing Disney music on top of it. Um, and that's where I learned how to do it. So. I was going to say, I, I know that that's where you learn how to knit. So, yeah. um, so I'm imagining maybe it was one of these, the, the crew members that you were talking about, how you have like really close relationships with them yeah. because you're traveling and you're working together every single day. So was it one of them that knew how to knit and, and why did you ask to learn? I want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor, Craftsy. And here is a message from Craftsy. At Craftsy, we know making. Whether you're new to the handmade life or looking to advance your skills, we have classes for all maker levels and interests. From knitting and sewing to quilting and embroidery, cooking, baking, paper crafts, and more, Craftsy's instructors guide and encourage you, empowering you to turn ideas into realities. And they have an exclusive offer for Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Right now, you get a whole year of their premium membership for only $1.49. That's their Black Friday offer. Visit CraftsyOffers.com to sign up, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. For only $1.49, you'll get a full year of access to over 2,000 premium full-length classes. It can be challenging to know where to go to learn new things, especially when you're an absolute beginner. 
Craftsy's instructors help build strong foundations as they teach, setting you up for success and helping you fix mistakes as you go. Their enthusiasm and strong teaching style make learning accessible to all. And if you're an experienced maker looking for new challenges and fresh projects, Craftsy's for you too. From perfecting your fondant skills to tackling complex stitches. From eye-catching garden design to next steps in sourdough, Craftsy has advanced classes in all crafts from instructors who are experts in their field. With over 2,000 classes, including downloadable patterns and recipes, Craftsy has a class and a craft for everyone. So on Black Friday, visit CraftsyOffers.com and get a year of Craftsy Premium Membership. That's the Black Friday deal at just $1.49. Start turning ideas into projects you can be proud of. Get this exclusive offer at CraftsyOffers.com. Thank you so much, Craftsy. And now back to my conversation with Austin. Yeah, so it was one of my castmates. Um, her name is Anna. Um, and she, I believe what happened was I saw her knitting. Um, we were sitting on the bullet trains or the Shinkansen trains, as they call them in Japan. Um, and those are the super fast trains that go between the big cities in Japan. And we would basically, that's how we would tour around. Is by, we would all load onto the trains and all the orchestra members would have, have their instruments with them. And then, of course, there were some tour bands that would take the, the big instruments. Excuse me. Um, and... I believe I saw her knitting one time. And, you know, we're in Japan. I do have a little bit of phone service because I bought a Japanese SIM card. But when you're on the trains, the, you know, the phones don't always work anyways. So um, I was like, I need something to do other than just like sitting here playing Candy Crush on my phone for hours and hours. Um, and so I saw her knitting. I was like, hey, that looks like a fun like thing to do to pass the time on the train. Do you mind teaching me? And she was like totally down. As we all know, most crafters love to teach crafting to another person and spread the love. Um, and so she took me to the equivalent of like, a, a dollar store in Japan. So it was like a hundred yen store or something like that. And I got some super cheap, super cheap acrylic yarn, some bamboo needles, and I went to town on my first scarf. Um, and that was my first ever project. It didn't turn out to be a scarf in the end. Um, I started with 40 stitches on my uh, needles and somehow ended up with 88. So I was picking up stitches literally left and right. <laughs> and I didn't notice it till the end. Somehow I didn't notice that I was knitting double the number of stitches by the end of the scarf. So it looked kind of more like a shawl, but without a point at the end. It was it was an interesting uh, garment. I didn't keep it, needless to say. Okay, so once you learn to knit, was it like an instant, I'm obsessed with this? Or was it sort of like, oh, that was fun for the time that I was in Japan riding on the trains, but now... I'm not doing that and I don't really need to continue to do this. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't actually ever talked about that. So I think after I left Japan, I did keep knitting. Um, I made a couple of small gifts for like my family back home. Um, but while I was in Japan, I made some gifts. And so then people saw those gifts and wanted me to make more stuff for you know family members who didn't gift to get a beanie or whatever. So I did knit a little bit more when I got back, but it wasn't as often as I was when I was on tour. Um, you know, I was I came back to New York City and had to go back to auditions and go back to working um, at a restaurant for a couple of months. So you know, it wasn't it wasn't the best environment for my brain to remember that knitting is a good thing for that stuff. It you know can take your mind off of all that stuff that you're working on. So I didn't knit as often and then of course the pandemic hits in 2020 and then i met my boyfriend during the pandemic who is a crocheter and so he was crocheting all the time because that you know what else were we going to do during the pandemic and i was like hey i should like get back into knitting more full time because why not um it's a great thing to do and so really right before the pandemic going into the pandemic i started picking up knitting much more often again similar to how i was during the uh the the japan tour and, you know, the thing with getting introduced to a new craft is, as you said, you had cheap acrylic yarn, right. some bamboo needles, you know, um, but how did you get, get in, like introduced to the online knitting world? Because really, of course, like there's this huge, deep, rich community of people right. who are also obsessed with this. 
And there's local yarn shops and indie dyers, and there's so much to to sort of get involved with. Yep. And you're very involved with that now. But I'm wondering what was like the the entry point into that side of things. Uh, the Rainbow was. I had I didn't even know that local yarn shops existed until I started the Rainbow. At the time, I was even you know three or four years into my knitting experience, I was still only buying my yarn from Walmart and Michaels. Like I didn't okay. even know that you could buy yarn at other places. I didn't know that there were thousands upon thousands of people on social media that had like right. fiber arts based Instagram accounts and like there were influencers with like a hundred thousand followers that were crafters. That was like it blew my mind when I started at the rainbow <laughs> that there were people that were like this dedicated and in love with the craft like I was um that had like these major social media accounts um and then indie dying and I was like whoa I didn't know that there was like customly dyed yarn and like people make this as like this is their art like that's a another different type of art form within this industry um and i learned about that and then i learned about weaving and like and all the great stuff with quilting and sewing and i was like this whole world of like fiber arts that i had no clue existed um before now i'm like fully entrenched in it because of the rainbow and i'm so happy that i am because there's so many great amazing people and businesses and small businesses and big businesses out there that are working in this community to make the community and the world a better place um and so my getting into that was really with the rainbow i started at the rainbow out of my apartment in new york city during the height of the pandemic and was just like how do i spread this word around to people who are crafters because i didn't know there were crafters out there for sure but i didn't know there was this huge social media presence and i think i probably found like used some hashtags on instagram search to just like find some crafters and i ran you know i, I think i came across a couple of like cc was one of the first people the creative uh creative cc on instagram was mm -hmm. one of the first people i came across cc introduced me to lewis uh Mm -hmm. boy knits um and then i was like oh there are people with like forty thousand followers on instagram that they're crafters like that's what they do they make the brands out of it um and so that is really how i fell into the world was by doing interviews with lots of different people who have larger instagram platforms to talk about why i wanted to start the rainbow um and so you I'm were calling there. them up and yeah. saying hey i have an idea for this nonprofit." Can I talk to you about it? And it wasn't exactly. like a recorded Instagram live or something like that. It was just like a one-on-one. -on -one. It did start that way with one-on-one -on -one conversations. And then the people that I spoke to would introduce me to other people and say, hey, you need to meet Austin. He's starting this organization. Go live with him. Tell all of your followers to follow this brand new in Instagram account at the rainbow. Um, you know, we went from having no followers to in our first year, probably having one or 2,000, which was really awesome growth for our first year. Um, and now three years later, we're sitting at over 10,000 social media followers. Um, which is crazy to me <laughs> that in three years we've been able to accumulate you know that many followers across the different social media platforms. But yeah, it was really about just reaching out to people on Instagram DMs and the people that would get back to me. I would say, hey, can I chat with you about Knit the Rainbow? This idea that I have, and my goal was just to talk to as many people as possible, and that's still my goal, honestly, is to talk to as many people as possible about this little kind of baby organization that I started and see how they can help or if they want to get involved or at least if they want to share it with their followers. Um, and that's been the way that Knit the Rainbow has grown was by was through that social media power okay so um how did you come up with the name knit the rainbow it seems like a great name but i don't yeah. know if there was uh was there like a naming process that took place were there other yeah, names that were question. contenders i don't remember there being other names that were at the top of the list like knit the rainbow you know i knew that i would have to do like a business search you know to make sure that there weren't other nonprofits that already had the name because you know because of copyright and stuff so i think i did that and me being a knitter um and not knowing at the time that there was you know kind of a a, a tussle in the community between between knitting and crocheting and like the lack of inclusion of crochet um, in the community at many times. I, did, I wasn't even aware of that because I wasn't part of the community. Um, and so I was like, I'm a knitter. I think I'm going to be knitting. I didn't really know much of it all about crocheting. So I said, knit the rainbow is what it's going to be because I'm knitting. I'm collecting knitwear. Um, and then we're serving LGBTQ youth. And, you know, the rainbow is the symbol of pride. So it was kind of, I think it was kind of obvious. I was like, I, I don't know if, the, I don't remember there being any other strong contenders um, for a name. There probably were some other options, but at this point, I can't remember what they were um, because Knit the Rainbow is kind of just the thing that stuck in my brain. And that's so that's where we're at now. I got lucky yeah. that that wasn't already taken as an Instagram handle. It wasn't already taken as a business name, you know, and it's kind of the perfect name. So it, it, it is. Yeah, it, it, it truly is. So, um, so you know, I, I can imagine with the idea, OK, we're going to invite community members to knit or crochet these garments and then we're going to distribute them. 
I would think I would need a partner to help with the distribution, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so like a, a, a organization that already exists, that already serves this community that I can say, I'm going to bring these things by, I'm right. going to drop them off. So when you're making all of these um, outreach messages on mm-hmm. Instagram to all these influencers to say, okay, well, that's the the sort of giving side. We're right. all going to try to get lots of our followers to be on board and yep. want yep. To, to make things. But then where there's the, the distribution side. So did you also do a lot of outreach or did you already, were you already hooked into, you know, no. community-based organizations working with you, young people? I was not hooked in at all. You know, I, I talked about the fact, you know, I was privileged in that I didn't have to experience homelessness because of my identity. I was, my family was homeless as a family for a period of time where we we would sleep on couches and sleep on my mom's family friends, or we would go to church friends' houses and sleep for for a couple months at a time. So, um, you know, I did experiencing I did experience homelessness, but with my family, not as an individual. So, I wasn't connected to any of the shelters here in New York City before I, I started the Rainbow. So, it was a very similar process. You know, the same way that I reached out to influencers on Instagram, I would reach out to the organizations on Instagram or go to their info at email and send out a long email introducing it the Rainbow. At the time we launched, I already had our website ready to go. I had our social media accounts ready to go so that when I reached out to people, they could actually go somewhere and see what the rainbow was going to be about. Um, And so I would send information. I would, again, have conversations with as many people as possible. Um, And when I started the board of the rainbow, um, the folks on the board helped me to make those connections as well. So I had some folks on our starting board who worked in politics in New York City or who worked in government in New York City. They knew of some organizations. I had a person who was an a sexual health advocate and knew of some organizations that worked on um, HIV and sexual health um, for youth and for LGBTQ youth. Um, So that was um, my kind of in into the organization, both doing outreach on social media and through our board members' connections by making those partnerships. And our first one was the Ali Forney Center. And they're the largest organization in the country that serves LGBTQ plus youth. So it was kind of a perfect springboard for us to be like, hey, Ali Forney Center's on board. They're the biggest organization. So every other shelter or an organization that whether they serve five youth or whether they serve 500 youth a year, you should be partnering with the Rainbow because we can give you some essential warm garments that are often left out of drive. You know, a lot of these places, when they do drives, they do coat drives, or they'll do mm-hmm. like sock or shoe drives, or they'll do regular clothing, like not non-winter clothing drives. But okay. I noticed there wasn't a lot of winter cl- like accessories going out there. And if you've ever gone outside in the dead of winter, it was just with your coat on, but not a beanie and not a scarf or a cowl without gloves. Um, you, you are so cold, you know, because your extremities are still out. So I was like, you know, I feel like that this essential element of the garment accessories like the scarves and the cowls and the gloves and the socks are important to warmth. They're part of the essential warmth, especially if you don't have regular shelter. Um, You need everything. You need more than just a winter coat. So I was like, this is going to be a great way to offer folks who are crafting a way to give back to the community um, and then also really provide essential warmth for folks who are living on the streets or without regular housing. And also it's that other side of providing love because a lot of folks don't get handmade uh, garments. That's like not a thing that you get unless you know someone. Like unless your mom or your uncle or your grandma is a crafter, you may not get like a handmade garment ever in your lifetime. And so a lot of folks know that it takes time to make stuff. Um, you can imagine, um, even if you're not a crafter, you can imagine that it probably took a person some time to make this beanie for you. So it also is that 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 dual um, purpose of one providing warmth, but also providing that love and compassion, and they know that there's someone out there who is thinking about them and who cares about them and who took time out of their life just to make this hat for them uh, because of their LGBTQ right. identity. So, right, okay. So, what is the ask now? So, for people who are listening to this, maybe have are just hearing about Knit the Rainbow for the first time. Or for retailers who might want to do a drive mm-hmm. in their local area and donate, et cetera. Um, you know, is it like, okay, you have to use a particular kind of yarn or you have to knit or crochet these particular patterns. We don't want something else outside of this or mm-hmm. any any kind of like requirements like that. Or we have to have a certain number of, of finished garments before we can send a box or, mm-hmm. you know, so kind of explain a little bit about like, what is the actual sort of ask now for people who want to volunteer and get involved? Yeah, that's a great question. So our ask is very much the same as it was when we first started. We don't have any fiber or pattern or color restrictions. So basically we say hand make something as long as it's unworn. Um, we don't want to 
give you know a lot of shelters ask for stuff that's brand new so we want to make sure we're not doing giving out stuff that you made you know five years ago that's sitting in your closet it has to be brand new stuff that hasn't been worn before um and then um you can use any pattern um whatever pattern you like we do have some free patterns on our website that's another way you can get involved is if you're a pattern designer you can send us a, fri- a free pattern for our volunteers to use um, we have a few of those up on our website if i think about oh, a little over 20 um you also can knit in any colors or crochet in any colors um you know even though we're called the rainbow we actually encourage folks to send us colors that are more muted and darker um one because they they look cleaner longer so for example if you have like a dark brown or a gray um scarf it'll stay it'll look cleaner for longer than a yellow or a cream or a white scarf um for someone who's living on the streets um and then also if you make stuff that's only rainbow it can also be a target for folks who are it can make them into a target if they're living on the streets it can be unsafe to be able to pronounce your lgbt identity if you're living on the streets um and so a lot of times we're like you know we love the rainbow stuff we do accept rainbow stuff and a lot of the folks do live in shelters so it's okay for them to have rainbow rainbow stuff or other pride flag stuff but we do say you know don't only send us rainbow stuff also send us some more of those muted darker colors um and you can ship stuff to us at our office in new york city um or you can drop them off at some of our local yarn shop partners around the country we also have a few partners that are not local yarn shops just small businesses like a library or um, we actually have a rock climbing gym that serves as a drop a drop off location for us so basically what that looks like is you as a business owner set out a box um, and we're also happy to send you some like little Nick and the rainbow stickers or some wristbands that you can give out to people who come in to drop off stuff or we have some flyers as well that talk about Nick the rainbow and what we do you can set up a box put up a sign that says you know this is a collection for Nick the rainbow um, and we're happy to send you our logo for that and then all you have to do is when it gets full send it to us in New York City um, and then that the rainbow for small business owners, we're happy to reimburse you for the cost of the shipping because we know that a box full of, you know, big, heavy winter wear can be expensive. And that's why we fundraise as a nonprofit so that we can um, help our small business owners. So we don't want to ever put the financial burden on our small business partners to be able to send us stuff. So we're more than happy to reimburse folks if they send us a receipt as a small business. Um, and that's it. Put out a box, collect, and then ship us the donations every now and again, and then you can continue that process. Um, and then the next step for that is how we've expanded. So in Chicago and in Detroit, we have a couple of small businesses and local yarn shops that are collecting donations for us year-round and are also distributing them on our behalf. So we will make the partnerships for them. So for example, in Chicago, that the Rainbow has secured four partnerships with organizations that serve LGBTQ youth. Um, and then I set up so that our yarn shops, may, I make sure that they have collected enough. And then they... I work with them to set up relationships with the partners, and then they take the garments straight to the partnerships um, instead of sending them to us in New York City. And that's how the Rainbow is planning to expand to serve youth around the country is through our small business partners. Okay. And you have so much experience from managing volunteers, from working Mm. on these different political campaigns. And I'm wondering whether that period of your life way back, you know, right after college, helped you when you sort of started doing this? Because this is a lot of volunteer management. It's a lot of, you know, that same sort of thing. And then the other piece of it too is I'm I'm wondering when things come to you, because in the beginning, that's how it it really was working. Everything was coming to you. Um, That's a lot of manpower to sort and Mm -hmm. and there's quality control and and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, So, so talk a little bit about volunteer management, but then also about sort of like, the yeah the nitty-gritty i guess of when it all arrives yeah for sure i mean it does it is a big piece of it is volunteer management and then there's also a piece of it where it's just like downright business administration like i run the the company under the rainbow by myself basically the board helps me with the vision of the organization and with the fundraising and the planning um but for the day-to-day operations and responding to emails and setting up the website and our social media i really manage all of those pieces and then i hire consultants to help me with social media and help me with our accounting um but so there's that dual piece of it, which is like the business administration side, along with the uh, volunteer management side. Volunteer management, I think, definitely my experience on campaigns certainly helped me with that. Um, I think also my experience in theater and like being able to get up on a stage and feel comfortable talking to a big crowd about the rainbow, um, I think, has also certainly helped a lot. Um, and I actually got my master's degree, as you mentioned, in public administration, which is basically a business degree for nonprofits. So a public administration degree is um, basically meaning that you're learning how 
how to operate a public organization um, and how to manage the finances, how to uh, manage a board. Um, all of that was part of my public administration degree. And then I turned around and immediately after I graduated, used that to start at the rainbow. Um, and so it really was, I took the time, I took two years to get a master's degree because I knew I wanted to work in nonprofits or in the public sector somehow, but wasn't sure how. Um, and so I got that degree in order to build the rainbow, basically. Um, and that is where all of that business side of it comes from, is that that all those practical and technical skills I learned in my master's degree. Um, and then that volunteer management, yeah, came straight from the campaigns and like figuring out what the best way to talk to volunteers is. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of paying people for the work they do. But I also know that at nonprofits, it's very standard for volunteers to be part of the mission because they're really dedicated to the cause and they want to be able to give back their time. Um, and so I had to kind of shift my mindset and be like, it is okay mm. for people to volunteer if they want to. You know, if people really are passionate about what we're doing and right. want to be able to volunteer time. That's okay. You know, and um, of course, we do want to eventually be able to have some staff that so that we can grow our capacity but right now our volunteers have really been the driving force of the operation because i can't do it by myself one i can't knit thousands of garments by myself like i like we are able to distribute every year and we actually have three volunteers who serve as program coordinators so basically they're mm. staff of knit the rainbow and they work under me to help me run three of our five programs so that the full burden doesn't fall on me to be able to do all the administration, respond to all the emails and the calls and the, and the texts. Um, so it's been really helpful to have some of those really engaged volunteers. Um, from the beginning, I used my roommates during the pandemic to help me sort through garments. And they would help mm -hmm. me, you know, we would get a pile of stuff by the door. We would then open it up. I very early on got these um, kind of hotel grade laundry bins that we sort all the different donations into. So like they're three, they're big bins and they have three different, mm -hmm. um, sections in them which would probably be used for towels bed sheets and you know clothes or something at, at, at a hotel but we use them to sort beanies socks gloves you know, mm -hmm. cardigans you know mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and so i always had those um at the very beginning and then we transitioned over from me doing a majority of the inventorying and sorting to having these things called days of action where volunteers come to my apartment because we do still operate out of my apartment, a different one now, but uh, uh, my apartment nonetheless. Um, and we have volunteers come once a month and help me to unbox the hundreds of boxes that we get over each winter, sort them, do a quality check, and then tag them for redistribution. Because we do put a little tag on there that says made with love by the Therimba volunteer. And then it offers information for free sexual health services through one of our other partner organizations. Mm, okay, that's great. And um, you've done a lot. I mean, you really have built this, as you said, in partnership with volunteers, mm -hmm. in partnership with your board. You've right. also built a lot of other sorts of partnerships. So for example, this past weekend was Rhinebeck and mm -hmm. you were, um, there was a, a table at the Indian Tangled yes. event yeah. collecting um, Knit the Rainbow Absolutely. donations. So, I mean, that's just one of many, many different partnerships. Um, yeah. You've partnered with yarn companies, with all mm -hmm. kinds of different folks. So, um, and it sounds like that kind of collaboration and partnership has been incredibly important to the growth of this organization. So yeah. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how you sort of think about partnerships and yeah, how we teach sure. you. Yeah. yeah, we're always my, one of my things that I, I said this already, but I'm always willing to talk to anybody, anybody about Knit the Rainbow. So if you as a business owner or someone who works for a larger corporation has an idea about how Knit the Rainbow can get involved, give me an email. I would love to chat with you about how we can do a program in partnership with you or your business. Um, but it's been really valuable. For example, we have a partnership with Lion Brand, um, and they have provided us with yarn and a free pattern that will be in all of the other materials that we need in partnership with Joanne um, to start teaching knit and crochet classes to the youth that we serve. So mm -hmm. Joanne and Lion Brand together have created kits. Uh, we've created the kits, but they sent us some materials for the kits so that we can teach classes for free to the youth that we serve. Um, so we're going to start spreading the love of crafting. And that's all because of our partnership with Lion Brand and Joanne. We also have a partnership with Furls Crochet. And they sent us 2,000 pride crochet hooks that we can now use wow. to give away and to use in our classes for the youth. So now we can teach knitting because of Lion Brand and Joanne. And we can teach crocheting because of our connection with Furls Crochet. Um, and we've also been able to attend some of the greatest you know, fiber events every year, like H&H &H America is in Vogue Knitting Live and Indian Tangle 
Gold and Rhinebeck and like getting to go to some of these events and meeting people and spreading the word, repping at the rainbow and collecting at these events has been integral to how we've grown and spread the word about what we do. You know, there's only so much we can do on social media to spread the word. But when I'm able to go to these fiber events and see people face to face and collect stuff and talk to them about it at the rainbow and give them a little wristband or a sticker, um, you know, that is also another impact that we're able to have because of those partnerships with the organizations that um, run fiber events like H and H Americas or VK or Folk Getting Live. Yeah, and at H and H, your presentation included also a sort of like a history of LGBTQ plus, um, like history and yeah. recent history uh, in the United States. And right. I think a lot of people may not know mm-hmm. that history and know about Stonewall and like understand some some of the developments and some of the yeah. significant things that happened. And I thought it was a really good way to give people that background and education sort of Mm. quickly catch them up to steam like i didn't i was like he didn't have to put that in there but it was really helpful yeah one of our programs is called educating the masses we have five programs i've talked about most of them already but educating the masses is basically where we're just trying to make sure that the public knows about the housing crisis one that these youth are facing so i can present you tons of statistics and facts about the homeless lgbtq plus youth that exist around the country but also um, i want to be able to spread the word about what pride actually is is because there's a lot of misinformation out there. You know, people feel like, you know, like, oh, the LGBTQ people just took over June and like everything's rainbows and blah, 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 blah. But there's a reason for it. And, with, you know, LGBTQ people fought to be able to have, you know, equal rights and we're not even fully there yet. Um, and so being able to teach some of that history about the Stonewall Rebellion in 1969 and how it's led us to celebrate pride and why we actually celebrate pride, it's not to just go out and, you know, have our shirts off and like have a good time. We, of course, do that and we do have a good time. But the reason behind starting Pride is because of a, a movement. It's an activist movement to be able to fight for your rights and be equal um, here in, in the United States um, and around the world, honestly. But um, So it's been really powerful for me to be able to share the story of Pride and also share the, the statistics about the homeless LGBTQ plus youth and how people can get involved outside of the rainbow to help use their voice to help um, fight against the housing disparities that are happening. Yeah. Okay. And I wanted, before we get to recommendations, I just want to talk a little bit about Giving Tuesday mm-hmm. because we are heading into the holiday season yeah. and everybody knows about Black Friday yes. and Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday, <laughs> but Giving Tuesday is in there as well. And yes, so you are a nonprofit organization. This is a really good way for people in the craft world to get involved. So what can we do with Giving Tuesday this year? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, a lot of folks don't know this, but Nick the Rainbow has a budget. We spend about 50000 dollars a year on the rainbow because of all the events that we're going to the travel i have to rent u-hauls i mean there are tons of little little bits of costs that kind of add up throughout the year um and so that is a lot of money and we don't get funding right now we don't we're not getting grants we're not we should we could we just haven't started applying for them yet um you know so we're not getting any federal or grant funding so all of our money comes from individual donations whether that's a five dollar donation Ten dollars, twenty-five, or two hundred and fifty dollars that goes into helping us serve these youth. The money that comes in goes directly back out into our programming, so that we can make sure that we're keeping these youth warm, teaching them knit and crochet, um, teaching them how to knit and crochet for themselves, educating folks at events around the country about the housing crisis and about Pride and about the LGBTQ community. Um, and so that's exactly how folks can get involved. Even if you're not a crafter, or if you are a crafter but you don't have the capacity to be able to make stuff for us, what you can do is donate financial. And that really helps us. And like I said, every single donation counts, every single donation, because like I said, we don't get any grant funding. We don't get any federal funding right now. So a donation of $5 or $25 really helps. What I like to say is that a donation of $25 helps at the rainbow to provide three winter garments to one homeless LGBTQ plus youth. That's kind of how the math translates now. Um, and so if you are able to donate $50, you're able to help us give t- garments to two youth. Um, so just to keep that math in mind, that kind of helps us. That's kind of going to be our Giving Tuesday campaign. So if you can give us $25 and help us to serve one extra youth, that's one extra person we can keep warm this winter. Absolutely. And if you do have an audience because mm-hmm. you have an email list, you're a business, yeah, what you can say there, you can send an email on Giving Tuesday and say, I've made a donation. You don't have to say how much it was because right. as we know, every dollar counts and we mm-hmm. can't all give huge dollar amounts, but right. they all count. So, and you can provide the information 
to your audience and suggest yeah. that they join you, which yeah, is a really nice way to help spread the word doing to do that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it also just spreads the word about the rainbow, what we do, you right. know, and it, even if you send out a newsletter and only one person actually donates, right. that's now your whole newsletter that has at least read about the rainbow and knows that we exist. Um, and exactly. so any chance that folks can get to share the mission, if, if it's something that, that you're interested in and that you also love and are passionate about, you know, we do would love for you to share it, you know, with your newsletters or with the folks that, that you see at your businesses, um, because that's the only way that we're going to grow and serve more youth. Um, there are over 500,000 homeless LGBTQ youth in the country. Um, and so you can imagine that there are tons of resources that we can collect so that we can serve more and more youth every year. So, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I, okay. I want to make sure we get to your, your recommendations, mm, yes. um, before we end. So you, um, I know you spent quite a, a bit of time in, in Japan as you had talked about. So you are using the app Duolingo to continue to learn Japanese. Yes, I am. And that's because I'm trying to go back next year for my 30th birthday. Um, ah. So I'm trying to make a two-week trip to Japan next year. Um, and so I am on Duolingo every day. I, I have a 105-day streak right now. I'm trying to learn some Japanese so that I can go and like, feel like I have a handle on the language a little bit when I go back next year. And you've also wanted to recommend a book that I have as well um, mm. by Ibram Kendi, mm-hmm. How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah, it's a really good book. Um, and, you know, it just kind of talks about the difference between the language that we use around racism and anti-racism. And it basically just gives you lots of great tools that if you're interested in becoming more anti-racist and making sure that folks around the around you really feel included and in that they belong, it's a really great book with tons of great tips and action items. Yeah, and he's a professor, I believe, at BU, um, yes. which is right around the corner from me. So yep. I'm hoping to see him live at some point. Yeah, um, I would love to. Yeah. And then you also wanted to recommend a magazine that I also really like. It's called Radical Threads. Yes. Radical Threads is a great fiber arts-based magazine, and it is founded by, I believe, three women of color um, in uh, in the United States. So if you want to support a women of color-owned business that is a also great magazine and has tons of great patterns and stuff in it, definitely look uh, check into Radical Threads. They, are, they have a great magazine. Well, Austin, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast and tell us about Knit the Rainbow. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for having me, Abby. I really appreciate it. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode is brought to you by Craftsy. Calling all crafters. Are you ready to dive deep into your favorite crafting projects and learn new techniques along the way? Then it's time to join Craftsy Premium Membership. Take advantage of the Black Friday special. For only $1.49, you'll receive a full year of access to expert-led tutorials, patterns, and projects in every category you can imagine. With a massive library of resources at your fingertips, you'll be able to create your best work yet and bring your crafting dreams to life. Don't wait. Sign up now at CraftsyOffers.com and discover the endless possibilities of Craftsy Premium Membership. Thank you, Craftsy. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. When you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. So join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.